Welcome again to Sundays at Grace, the podcast ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. And I'm Pastor Bill, and I am so glad you joined us for yet another edition of the podcast. We're in week three of a sermon series, 2020 Vision, Seeing Your Life Through God's Eyes. And this series is based on this verse in Galatians 4.19, and this idea of Christ being formed in us. Uh, Christ being formed in us more fully in the year ahead. That's what we're exploring in this series. If you would go to our website, myrgc.com, you can download handout notes to go with this message uh, today. And there is a link there as well. If you'd so choose, you could click on the link and support the ministry of Robinson Grace Church and help us continually put out these messages. Now in today's message, we're going to talk about the necessity of letting go and how there are things we hold on to that hold us back. And in looking at four very personal, very powerful, and uh, very practical questions, we're going to kind of explore where in my life, is there an area in my life specifically where Christ can be formed within me more fully in the year ahead. So that's the goal of the message today. And we're going to talk about why it is so important to let go so we can move forward. Thanks again for joining us. Hope you have an awesome week. And I hope the message is a real blessing to you. Let's get right to it. It's the necessity of letting go. appeared to be an unexploded World War I bomb, David Page held on to it, afraid that letting go would detonate the device. While holding the bomb, the terrified 40-year-old from Norfolk, England, called an emergency operator on his mobile phone. He even used the call to issue his last words for his family. The woman police operator kept saying it would be okay, said Page, but I kept saying to her, you're not the one holding the bomb. First responders rushed to the workyard in eastern England and army bomb disposal experts finally arrived. But the drama came to an abrupt end when the bomb was identified. It was part of the hydraulic suspension system of a, from a uh, Citro- Citroen, a popular European car. There are times we find ourselves frozen in fear like this man and we just can't move and, and then, you know, we eventually gets exposed. That was a very very irrational fear. We didn't even need to have that fear. And the reality is we know that the one who is in us is greater than anything going on to us or around us or outside of us. Um, We know that he is greater than our fears. We're going to talk today, as we continue this series, we're going to talk today about this idea of letting go. And we're in this series, 2020 Vision, Seeing Your Life Through God's Eyes. It's a new series for a new year for a new you and we've been talking now the last couple of weeks about this reality of what it looks like to see ourselves through God's eyes and what it looks like to live uh, the life that he has for us well today we're going to talk about another specific angle to this series and it's going to be kind of kind of personal now the goal of this series right here is the goal of this series it is found in this verse in Galatians 4:19 it's kind of the prayer that Paul had for the church at Galatia and it's the prayer he has for you and I today is what he desires for us it simply says this um, my little children for whom I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you and so Paul just wanted to see Christ 
formed in their lives in greater and greater ways. And so we could say this really is, in a, in a sense, the general, kind of the general goal of this series is that Christ would be formed in us. And yet, at the same time, there's a more specific application to this series. It's kind of my desire, and for my own life as well, that where can Christ be formed in me? Where, where can Christ be formed in my life, specifically? Uh, one of the ways we identified this last week was to look at our life from four directions. There's our relational life, my interactions with other people, and my relationships with, uh, in my, the context of my life. There is uh, my public life, you know, my testimony, my, how people view me out in the w- real world at work and such. There's our private life, the life that no one sees but us and God. And then there, of course, is our ministry life, and we all have a ministry maybe you're not called to the ministry but we all have a ministry to serve and uh, to, to share Christ with a broken world and to use our gifts to uh, advance the kingdom and to build up the body of Christ now today we're going to go to a, a key pa- a key verse and then a key passage and here's our key verse it's found in Hebrews chapter 12 listen to what it says therefore since we are surrounded by, by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, or the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Hebrews tells us here that the Christian life we had is, is it's like a race. And it's not a hundred yard dash, it's like a marathon. And we're running and we're running and we're running through life. In fact, we could even say that the race is kind of like a relay because we run our race and then we hand the baton off to the next generation and they run their leg of the race. And that's kind of the way it should be that, you know, and I'd say my mom and dad did that. They've passed the baton off to all of us kids and now we're running our race and and we're passing it on to our kids as well. But here's in the context of this race, to run a successful race, here is what Paul says, we need to lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And that's where we get our big idea for today's message. It is simply this, there are things we hold on to that hold us back. There are things we hold on to that we need to let go of, and yet we hold on to them and they hold us back. And crazy as it might seem, you think, we would ditch them if they're holding us back, but we hang on to them. For some reason, we find value in these things. And so we need to learn to let go of these things so we can run the race set before us and so that Christ can be formed in our lives. As we run the race marked out for us, Christ is then formed in us. So today's big idea then is actually a question. Here's the question that we are confronted with. Is there something I'm holding on to that is holding me back? Is there something I'm holding on to and it is holding me back? And Hebrews is telling us we need to let go of that so we can run the race that God has called us to and oh yeah so that Christ can be formed in my life in greater 
and greater ways. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go to this passage today, verses 20 through 32. We're going to read through them here. And as we read through this, I want you to look in this text and just kind of notice some of the emotions, maybe some of the attitudes, some of the um, beliefs, some of the behaviors that are tucked away in here. And we're going to look at this. This is known as the, the, the passage that is the put off to put on passage. We put some things off to put some things on. Uh, we, we let go of some things so we can take and embrace some things. And so let's read it here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires... And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." So we can see in there uh, several things that we need to let go of and several things we need to embrace and take on so that Christ is formed in my life. So what we're going to see here right now is our four probing questions. There's not five, there's four. I had one, I subtracted one for the sake of time. But four probing questions. What am I holding on to that is holding me back and again we can apply these in the four directions of our life we can ask these questions and apply them to our relationships we can ask these questions and apply them to our you know our public testimony and in our public life or our private life and they're really significant questions and uh, yeah it can get a little bit uh, personal today as we go through these but I would encourage you to 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 really work these things out, work these questions out this morning and throughout the week ahead. I think you'll find this really significant. And again, the goal is that we can all find at least one area in our life where we can say, I want to see Christ formed in my life in this area. So here's the very first question. Do I need to let go of an emotion or an, an experience? And he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So is there an emotion or an experience that I need to let go of? And he starts off right there with anger. Now, let's be honest, anger in and of itself is not always bad. In fact, sometimes anger is a good thing. Sometimes anger just says, hey, I care. I care about this relationship, so I'm angry. Or I care about my job, so I'm angry. So sometimes anger, it's not always bad, but the reality is anger can be very destructive. And some people, they just live angry lives. They are constantly angry. One guy went to the psychiatrist and he was saying, you need to let go of your anger. Can you let go of your anger? And he said, well, I suppose I can. And he thought about it in a while and he says, but if I let go of my anger, what will I have? 
You know, and maybe we know people like that, that their life is just consumed with anger. Now, the reality is, is that anger is generally a secondary emotion, meaning there's something deriving that anger. The two most common things, I think, that drive our anger are, are, are the emotions of hurt and the emotions of fear. I think those are the two that really drive our um, anger. In fact, let's talk about those two emotions just a minute. Let's talk about them. So there's the emotion of anger, letting go of our anger. We need to let go of anger. Uh, it, it can be destructive, you know. Don't go to bed when you're angry. Deal with your anger. Let go of it, Paul says. But then there is this. There is, there is the idea of letting go of the fear in our life. And fear really can uh, have a huge uh, think about your relationships for a minute. You could look at 2020 and say, in 2020, I want to build more deep and meaningful relationships. And uh, that's my desire. And yet the reality is you can't hold on to certain fears like the fear of vulnerability and the fear of intimacy. And you got to be able to let those, those fears go if you want to build deeper relationships with other people. It is that simple. It is that simple. This is even true for us as a church. You think about us as a church, and, and, I, and I think for us to grow as a church, we need to build more vulnerability and more intimacy. And, and sometimes that happens in those kind of small groups, those small life groups that we, uh, that we form and, and that you get in the context of those groups and you kind of flesh out life together. We have Bible studies, and we have Sunday school class, and you know how it is. You get in Sunday school, and you're in a, in a study, and there's always those questions in the study that we really don't like to answer because they're just a little too personal right and and i get that but here's the reality if you really want christ to be formed in you in greater and greater ways you need to find a group of people where you feel safe answering those very personal questions that's that's the reality what we need we need those kind of groups like jesus had peter and james and john and 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 they had a very intimate relationship in deeper ways than some of his other disciples and we need that in our life as well for christ to be formed in us in greater and greater ways need to let go of that fear uh, that fear of vulnerability and uh, intimacy that oftentimes holds us back from knowing Christ in a deeper way. You could apply this to your ministry life. How many people today, how many people have not over the, over, over the course of their life said, I would love to go overseas and go on that short-term missions trip to Haiti or wherever, and yet there's this fear that holds them back. And they fail to realize that God has given them a measure of faith, all the faith they need to go embrace this adventure and, 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 and get to know Christ and have Christ formed in them in greater and greater ways. But it is a fear that paralyzes them and holds them back. So this, this emotion of fear, we need to let go of the emotion of fear. Maybe that's a fear in your life or an emotion in your life you need to let go of so Christ can be formed in you in greater ways. How about this emotion, the emotion of letting go of the hurt? I mean, sometimes we have this, this emotion of hurt and there's pain in our life and, and, and it controls us and it is dictating. Again, you want to build deeper and meaningful relationships in your life, right? But you got hurt. And so you got the cement and you got the blocks and you built the wall around yourself and said, never again. No one's hurting me again. And we keep everybody at a safe distance. And, and the reality is for Christ to be formed in our life in greater ways, we've got to get out the sledgehammer and we've got to tear down that wall and, and we've got to give up that hurt to the Lord and say, it's okay. In fact, here's what it comes down to. If you want Christ to be formed in your relationship life, you almost have to be willing to say, I want to be hurt again. 
I want to be hurt again. And that sounds crazy. It's like, what are you saying? No, you have to come to the point of saying, I want to be hurt again because here's the reality. The kind of relationships we really need that will really help Christ be formed in us are the relationships where someone can and eventually will hurt us. It is the people that we're closest to. Those are the people that hurt us the most. And we need to understand this. There's something that my eyes have really been open to in the last couple of years. And it's this, it's this concept. Think, think about this. God creates Adam. He creates the first Adam there in the Garden of Eden. And here's the amazing thing. Before the first Adam ever committed a sin and ever wronged God, God already had the second Adam planned. I mean, it was, Jesus was already on the docket. It was part of the plan. It's kind of like Eve. God didn't just create Adam, look back at Adam and say, something's missing. I think I'm going to create Eve and fill in what's missing. No, when he created Adam, he already knew I'm going to create Adam, but that's not going to be complete. And I got Eve over here planned and I'm going to create Eve and together they'll be. And so he created the first Adam and said, here's the first Adam and I know what he's going to do. And so here's the second Adam, Jesus, and he's going to come thousands of years later and hang on a cross. And yeah, that's the plan. The reality is Jesus was not a reactionary after all, a second afterthought. Neither was Eve. They, they were all part of the plan. And, and here's the reality when you think about the relationship God has with us. We always ask the question, why? Why did God create us if he knew we would hurt him? If he knew we would sin? And why did he do all this? And on some level, I can't, under, I can't answer that question as why, why God created us. He didn't, he didn't need us. In some way, he wanted us. In some way, we're an expression of his goodness and his glory. But here's the reality. So God wanted us uh, on some level, and God understood that the kind of relationship he wanted with us would require us hurting him. He kind of knew that. And so God created us knowing we, he would be hurt by us. He knew we were going to hurt him. He knew that that was part of, uh, part of the deal, that if you wanted a relationship with a human being like you and me that in the end we would hurt us. In the end, you see, the free will worship that we offer God was worth the free will hurt that we brought to God on some level. On some level, the free will worship that we offer God because we are not robots, but we can choose to worship Him was worth the free will hurt that we brought to God. And so the reality is the kind of relationships we all desire the kind of relationships where Christ is formed in us relationally are those relationships where we can and we will be hurt on occasion. That's why the Bible says be patient, be quick to forgive. You're going to need that because the kind of relationships you're going to build are going to require being hurt. But as you're hurt, you're gonna, I'm going to be formed in you in greater and greater ways. And, and actually when we are patient and when we are quick to forgive, that's a sign that Christ is being formed within our lives so there's just a couple of emotions there anger and fear and hurt do you need to let go of a of of an emotion and maybe the experience that drives that emotion do you need to surrender that so christ can be formed in your life in greater and greater ways that's one place to start here's a second question this morning do i need to let go of an attitude or a belief is there an attitude or a belief that I need to let go of? And he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
Is there something I need to let go of in that sense, an attitude or a belief? And just know, just understand here, Paul tells us to be tenderhearted and forgiving. And why? Because we believe God was tenderhearted and forgiving towards us. There's a belief that drives our forgiveness. There's a belief that drives us being tenderhearted. And that's the reality. Now, when it comes to this idea of our attitude, the Bible's very clear about our attitude, right? Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or the New Living Translation, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And so we're supposed to have the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ. We're to think like Christ thinks. We are. So in this sense, Jesus believes I'm totally forgiven. So I should believe I'm totally forgiven. Jesus believe, believes God loves me, and so I should believe that God loves me. I need to have his attitude. I need to think like he thinks. Now, one thing that crossed my mind, I've never considered this before, and we think here again about the goal, the, the, the goal of Christ being formed in us, but, but I never thought about this before in the sense of what's the difference between attitudes and emotions? And so I kind of thought about that for a little bit. And, and uh, he, here's some of the things that I kind of found or came up with. Emotions basically based on my experience usually. And emotions are kind of short-lived. They kind of fluctuate a lot, you know. My emotions can be up and down and all over the place. And those are my emotions. And sometimes our emotions drive our life and they shouldn't because, as I said, our emotions are all over the place and then our life is all over the place. And so... We have to be careful that our life is not driven by our emotions and our experiences. Um, but then there's our attitudes, and the attitudes are generally based off our beliefs. What do I believe? And I form these attitudes, and these attitudes can tend to be more long-term. That's a better thing to have your life, you know, kind of guarded or guided by your attitudes and by having the attitude of Christ and by the right beliefs rather than just your emotions of the moment. So there's kind of a, an understanding there of attitudes versus emotions. But the reality is, both of them, there's attitudes, there's emotions I need to let go of so Christ can be formed in my life. So we think about this. Are there any attitudes or beliefs I need to let go of so I can embrace the attitude of Christ? What attitudes rooted in my flesh, what common flesh patterns do I need to let go of so I can embrace the attitude of Christ and so I can walk and live in the Spirit? Well, let me give you a couple of common ones. Here's a couple of common attitudes we would all do well to get rid of. They're very destructive to us. One would be a critical spirit or a judgmental attitude. People that have a critical spirit or a judgmental attitude, they are really not fun to be around. We tend to avoid people that are like that. Do you remember what it said in Ephesians 4.29? Let's read it again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So here's the thing. Uh, the question would be this. When people think of you and how you speak, how you speak to them, around them, and even about them. Would they say you tend to be more of a person who speaks with grace? Or, or are you more critical and judgmental and negative? That would be the question. Now, do you, do you want to know the answer to that question? Do you want to know if your words are more grace, gracious or more critical and judgmental? Do you want to know? Well, here's one way you can know. Find some people that you really trust and ask them. 
Do my words tend to be more gracious or more critical? More gracious or more judgmental? Now, the only caveat to that is when you go and you're asking somebody, just don't ask somebody who's got a critical spirit. <laughs> because they can tend to be overly critical and not give you a fair assessment of yourself. In fact, sometimes critical people can be really hard on themselves. And it's not just other people. So ultimately, if you want to know, here's a, here's a, how about this? How about asking God? And let the Holy Spirit bear witness with your spirit in your heart. And if you ask him and you read scripture, he'll probably let you know and you'll probably feel and hear the word of truth from the Spirit telling you where your words tend to fall. The reality is, here's the thing when it comes to this, is that a critical spirit or a judgmental attitude, it steals our grace and it steals our joy. Critical people are not usually very happy. Negative people are not normally happy. You know, they're just always upset and complaining. And, 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 and so that's the reality. One thing I've noticed in, in my years, over the years, and maybe this is kind of in, in the context of, of being part of Grace Churches, but I've seen a lot of people over the years that are really, really, really good. They understand grace when it comes to their theology, but they can be very critical and very judgmental when it comes to how they live their life. And you just destroy your testimony and you destroy your ministry when you come across as being someone who is critical and judgmental. People's perceptions of us in public will not be good. And... And you know, this critical spirit and judgmental attitude, it even affects our private life because the truth is, you're not even going to want to like to be around yourself. So, you know, uh, you need to work on that. And um, that certainly is an attitude. Here's another common attitude that we can have and maybe not realize we do. And that's an entitled attitude. That's an attitude of entitlement. And again, people who have an entitled attitude, they are no fun to be around. Now, what does entitlement do? Well, entitlement limits our ability to be appreciative and grateful. It's hard to be appreciative. It's hard to be grateful when we have an entitled attitude. Why? Well, because, hey, I deserve everything. And when I don't get what I think I deserve, then I'm just unhappy, and then I just complain, and then I just gripe. And that's just the reality. The reality is this entitled attitude, it is 180 degrees opposite of the attitude of Christ. If anyone had any reason to feel entitled, would not Jesus? He created the whole world. He created us. He comes down to earth to serve us. And then he ends up getting nailed to a cross. If anybody should have been in, had an entitled attitude, it would have been Jesus. And yet he went to the cross and humbly died. Never, ever, ever gave a hint of entitlement. Even after he rose again, he goes to his disciples and he explains what happened on the cross. He explains what's coming in the future and he really never gets upset with them. He never has this entitled attitude. Here's the reality. So we saw that verse in, in Philippians 2.5, have the attitude or the mind of Christ. Ten verses removed from that, we find this. Do all things, Paul says, without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And notice what he says here in this text. We have a public life. We have a public testimony. We shine as lights in this world. And if we gripe and if we complain and if we have this entitled attitude, it will really impact that testimony. And it will limit how deeply Christ 
is formed in me. Here's what's amazing about this whole thing. Jesus not only did not have an entitled attitude of entitlement, he was 180 degrees the other direction. He actually laid down all his rights. He actually laid down everything. He, was, he didn't complain about you know, what he was entitled to. He laid them down willingly. So if you want Christ to be formed in your life more and more and more, we have to learn to lay down our rights. Say, you know what? It's not, it's not about what I'm entitled to. It's not. It's about what can I lay down so that more of Christ can be seen in my life. I'll give you one other kind of attitude here that we can struggle with, and that's a victim mentality. It's a victim mentality. And again, this is just the opposite. In Christ, we have the victory. Even when it looks like we're losing with Christ, we have the victory. So we don't need to have a victim mentality. In Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible is Romans chapter 8. And one of the greatest verses tucked away in here, there's so many good verses in Romans 8, but this is a powerful verse. Listen to what it says. No, Paul is speaking about the persecution he endured and the adversity we go through and those times when we wonder, is God still here? Is God still love me? And has God abandoned me? And he says, no, in all these things, even when it looks like we're losing, <laughs> We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the reality is this entitled attitude will just take away. Uh, it causes us to lose sight of the victory that we have in Christ. You see, even when it feels like we're losing, we can proudly proclaim, yeah, I've already won. I've already won the victory because I have Christ and Christ is the victory. So the question this morning is really simple. Are there any beliefs or behaviors I need to let go of so that Christ can be formed in my life in greater and greater and greater ways? Here's the third question. Here it is. Uh, do I need to let go of a behavior or an addiction so Christ can be formed in my life in greater and greater ways? He says, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So Paul says, stop lying. You want to talk about a destructive behavior? Yeah, lying, that's a destructive behavior. That'll destroy your relationships. That'll destroy your testimony. So yeah, we need to, we need to stop lying. But the reality is, are there any behaviors in your life? Is there anything, any addictions in your life that you need to let go of so that Christ can be formed in your life in greater and greater ways? When I think about this, Here's the one thought that came to mind. It's our big idea from two weeks ago. Our behaviors are the byproducts of our beliefs. You see, we, we may identify a behavior in our life and say, okay, I want to stop this behavior. But if you don't deal with the underlying attitude and the underlying belief, you're not going to probably be successful. That's why most New Year's resolutions fail. We just identify a behavior and think, I want to be, you know, I want to do that. I want to work out more. I want to do this more. I want to do that more. Instead of identifying the behavior identifying the belief and the attitude that underscores that it, even getting a scripture that backs that up that we continually read and it can it can really help us you know i was thinking one of the most misunderstood words in the bible is the word repentance i was thinking about that this week if you go to most people and say what does it mean to repent preacher says i need to repent of my sins and i need to and most people are going to say well you need to change your behavior that's how most people look at the word repent. You just change your behavior. 
Well, here's the interesting thing. You know, most of the times that the word repentance is used in Scripture, it's kind of associated with the idea of salvation. Most of them are linked to salvation. And the reality is, I'm not saved by changing my behavior. So how can repentance simply be, I simply change my behavior? Well, that's actually not a good definition of what it means, repentance means. Um, look at what it says in 2 Peter 3.9. Here's one example. There's just a few examples in the scripture of this idea of repentance that are used. Um, but here's what Peter says, and Peter is speaking about the fact that pe- people wondered, you know, where, when's Jesus coming back? I mean, think about this 2,000 years ago, and they're all like freaked out. It's like, when's Jesus coming back? He said he's coming back. He said he's coming back right away. And, it, you know, it's, it's been, I mean, it's been like three years. Where's Jesus? <laughs> We're 2,000 years later, we're like, what do you mean? It's been three years. We're waiting 2,000 years. And here's Peter's advice or his words on the issue. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God has waited for 2,000 years for us to get our behaviors together because when our behaviors are good enough, then he's going to come back, right? Because he's waiting for us to get to repentance, which is changing our behaviors. Well, no, it's not. Really understanding repentance, the best way is to understand repentance is really just changing not my behaviors, but it's changing my beliefs, it's changing my mind. It's changing my focus. It, it is turning from here over to here, but it's looking, it's seeing, it's agreeing with what God says about me, about Him, about my sin, about my life. Here's, here it is. Repentance is changing my mind and agreeing with God about who He is. I repent of my thoughts and I agree with who he says he is. Repentance is changing my mind and agreeing with God about my sin. Repentance is changing my mind and agreeing with God about my behavior. Yeah, my behavior is wrong. I have no power to change it apart from Christ, but it's wrong. Repentance is changing my mind and agreeing with God about who I am. After I'm saved, I repent and I say, hey, I agree. (laughs) You know, I'm not a worthless scumbag. I'm a child of God. I have the identity of Christ. And repentance is changing my mind and agreeing with God about the direction of my life. So if, if, if I'm living as a prodigal son or if, if I'm just going in one direction and I know I'm going in the wrong direction, if I'm Jonah and I'm running from God, I repent and I turn around and say, I agree, Lord, I should be going this way and I'm going the wrong way. It's not changing my behavior. It's changing my beliefs. And, uh, and that, that's really, really, really significant to understand. Because we can't change our behaviors and I think that's pretty powerful to understand. But here's the reality. Where, where do behaviors fit into this then, into, into repentance? Well, here's where behaviors fit in. My behaviors are the byproducts of my beliefs. So if I repent and I change my beliefs, what should happen to my behaviors? They should change. Yes. But who changes them? Not me. But the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ working in me changes my behaviors. So to repent is to stop trusting self and to start trusting in Christ and to agree with what he says um, in contrast to what I may have been believing. Another thing here I noticed, I, I said this here, I, I mentioned um, letting go of, of behaviors and then I mentioned letting go of addictions um, as well. And, and I wrestled with that one. 
And it's really interesting because we sing this new song. We're just singing this new song. Bring all your failures, bring your addictions. Um, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. And when, when I picked out that song, I loved the song. It's got a great message. It's very singable. It's easy to sing. Just a great scripture. It's John three sixteen. And yet that was the one word I thought, is that weird singing? You bring all your addictions. And, and as I was going through this message, it really struck me. It really struck me that a couple of things. Number one, if we've never struggled with an addiction, we just can't appreciate the struggle. And the reality is that we need to tell people, yes, bring your addictions. Bring them to the cross. There is freedom in Christ. And so it shouldn't be something that we find odd to sing. We should be encouraging people. And I would say, here's the reality. There are more people privately struggling with some addiction and we aren't even aware of it. People are holding things inside that we aren't even aware of. And you know what? That's okay. It's just another form of some kind of sin that rules our life. And the other thing I would say is that maybe we struggle with an addiction and we don't even know it's an addiction. Do we have a persistent sin that we can't get past? In fact, think about the things we can be addicted to that would be forms of sin. We can be addicted to the approval of others, right? We can be addicted to um, trusting in money and finding our security and such. We can be addicted to being right and winning the argument. We can be addicted to work. All kinds of things we can be addicted to that we're finding our security and our hope and our fulfillment in other than Christ. We may be addicted to blank. You fill in the blank. Is there something in your life that you're addicted to? The reality is I think sometimes we don't realize we have blind spots to our addictions and we wouldn't even think we have an addiction because it's not the normal common vice that we would maybe or the substance that we would say is an addiction. But there's all kinds of things. Are you addicted to the approval of others? Are you addicted to always being right? Are you addicted to work or to money? Or are you addicted to telling bad jokes? <laughs> question number four, last question. Do I need to let go of a specific sin? He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Listen to what it says here. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. A different translation, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. Another translation says, having laid aside every weight and the sin easily entangling. And another translation says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares. And one last translation, let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way and of the sin which holds on to us so tightly. So Hebrews tells us, yes, let go of that sin. And we've talked about that to a great degree, right? We've talked about the emotions and the attitudes and the beliefs and the behaviors and those sinful things we need to let go of. Can I just add this? Letting go of the sin also would refer to letting go of the guilt and the shame of the sin that we have committed. The sins in yesterday, the guilt and the shame that beats me up and keeps me down and holds me back, and letting go of the sin, it's, yeah, it's letting go of that as well. Not just the emotion, not just the attitude, not just the behavior, but the guilt and the shame. And the guilt and the shame, as much as anything, will prevent us from running an effective race. For Christ it is the same as really letting go of yesterday so you can embrace today and hope for tomorrow that's the reality and that in itself could be an entire message so 
Big question today really is simply this. Is there something I'm holding on to that is holding me back? Is there an emotion or an experience, an attitude or a belief, a behavior or an addiction? Is there a sin that I need to let go of that is holding me back? Now, I've got to give you these real briefly here. Four quick, powerful observations about what we just looked at. First one is this. What you are letting go of is not who you are. So, It's not difficult to let it go. What you're letting go of is not who you are. You are what? The identity of Christ. Christ is being formed in you. Christ formed in you. That is who you are. What you're letting go of is contrary to who you are in Christ. So just know that. Number two, second one here is what you're letting go of is not what you want. When we're saved, when we become new creations in Christ and we get a new creation heart, the Bible says we actually desire what God desires. We want what God wants. So what do I really want is I want Christ to be formed in me. That's the desire. That's the abundant life. That's the fulfillment I'm looking for in life. And so anything that doesn't lend to that process of Christ being formed in me in greater ways, that's not what I want. Now I get it. Sometimes my flesh thinks it wants certain things or my flesh has desires that are contrary to the desires of my spirit. I understand that. But realize what you really want in your heart of hearts. Uh, well, what you're letting go of, it's not what you want. So you can let it go. Number three, what you're letting go of is weighing you down. I was thinking about this. You ever heard this phrase? Okay, so George went to the doctor and the doctor found a tumor on his stomach and so George had to wait six weeks to get into the specialist and he gets into the specialist and 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 then after six weeks of worry of hanging on to that bomb for six weeks you know like this is the bomb turns out the tumor's not cancerous in fact it wasn't even a tumor at all so George went out and George got himself a new doctor but here's the thing George said something to his wife, and we maybe have said this in our life. George said, boy, when I got home from the, spe- I got to the specialist and he, he told me that, there was a huge weight just lifted off my shoulders. You ever said that before? You ever had something and, and it's just like when it got taken care of, it's like a huge weight. There was stress, there was worry, there was anxiety, fear, anger, doubt, hurt, pain, guilt, shame. And, and it's like we literally carried around and then it's like this huge weight is lifted off of our shoulders. Now here's a question I have for you this morning. Do you think this concept, we've all felt it, right? There's this huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Do you think that is a biblical concept or do you think that's more of a psychological concept? You think that's more psychology? We feel it, but it's really just psychological, but we feel like this huge weight's lifted or do you think it is a biblical concept that this huge weight is lifted? How many think it would be biblical? How many think it would be psychological? Well, you know, we already, we already answered that in this message. Did you know that? Did, did you hear it? How many times did we read it? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And yes... God is saying that stress and that worry and that anxiety, that past hurt, that emotion, that attitude, whatever it is that you're carrying around, it is a weight. It's like you're carrying around, literally carrying around a five-pound bag, a 10-pound bag, a 20-pound bag of sugar on your shoulders. 
literally. And that's not me. That's God saying, let go of every weight. He says it's a weight. And I don't think he's just talking, you know, like, no, he's saying, you're carrying around a weight that is keeping you from running the race and is not allowing Christ to be formed in your life in greater and greater ways. And you have to identify, is there an emotion? Is there an experience? Is there an attitude? Is there a belief? Is there a behavior that is just a huge weight? How about the, the person that's carrying around a lie and just, just carrying around this lie? And, and you know what happens? Eventually they, they just confess and a huge weight is lifted off of them. That's not a make-believe thing. That's not just always in my... No, I believe we're really carrying around a weight that weighs us down. Here's the last one. <clears throat> Answering these questions is not saying, I will let it go. It is, a, it is acknowledging the truth of what I need to let go. So I can answer these questions. I can answer them all. But that's not saying I'm going to let this thing go. I'm not going to, I'm just, answering doesn't mean I'm going to let that emotion go or that attitude go or that behavior go. It's acknowledging that I need to let it go. Letting it go is a separate and a deliberate decision. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation with God. We can agree, I need to let this go. I need to let this addiction go, this behavior go, this emotion go. I need to let this anger go or this hurt go or this past experience. I need to let it go. But letting it go is a separate and a deliberate decision. Yes, I am going to let this go. Oh, I'll leave you with this. <clears throat> letting go and moving on is difficult. Is a difficult, painful process. Bad relationships, bad decisions. We tend to revisit the moments when we were not so smart or when others were not so smart. Beating ourselves up for our mistakes or blaming others for the way they've hurt us. That's why Jeff Goldblatt started what he hopes will become a movement. Get over it day. The day which was recently featured, or this is quite a few years ago now, on Good Morning America falls on March 9th, which happens to be midway between Valentine's Day and April Fool's Day. The idea behind Get Over It Day is simple. All of us have something, an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend or stressful school or work-related issues, fears and insecurities, embarrassing moments, bad relationships, and so on. Get Over It Day motivates people to use sheer willpower and move on, no matter how deep the scars. Goldblatt's website even sells Get Over It and provides helpful hints like, if you're not sure what you have to get over, just ask your friends what they're tired of hearing you complain about. Well, let me just tell you today, every day with Christ is get over it day. And we don't get over it in our sheer willpower. We get over it by repenting, by changing the way we think, by agreeing with God that His Holy Spirit can empower us to live a life of victory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your words. Thank you, Lord, for letting us know that we may be carrying weight through life. And it's keeping us from running the race and from Christ being formed in us. There could be sin, deliberate sin in our life, and we need to deal with it. And God, just each one of us today as we go home this week, bring this message to mind, bring these questions to mind. Help every one of us find at least one answer, one area where you can be formed in our lives in greater ways in 2020. What's the one thing we need to let go of so that can be a reality? Guide us in that endeavor. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that, that made it out in the snow. Get everyone home safely, Lord, for your grace and for your glory. Everyone said.